0: Amen. It's good to be in God's house and worship today. Thank you, choir and praise band and orchestra. Well done in leading us to worship today. If you're a guest, welcome today to Lawndale. We we believe God's made us a family. We enjoy meeting together. We enjoy being a family. We enjoy having guests come in and We welcome you as a part of our family today. I hope that you'll come back after the service to guest central so that I can meet you. We have a small gift for you. One of the things that we've been doing over these last weeks is that we've been reading through Genesis 1 through 11 together as a church family. Now, we don't read all 11 chapters at one time, but we have been reading a chapter a week and looking at what God has to say to us where we are. So this morning, we're in Genesis chapter 9, and I'm going to ask you, as we've been doing, to stand as I read Genesis chapter 9. And God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. The fear of you and the dread of you shall be upon every beast of the earth and upon every bird of the heavens "...upon everything that creeps on the ground and all the fish of the sea, into your hand they are delivered. Every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. And as I gave you the green plants, I give you everything. But you shall not eat flesh with its life, that is, its blood." And for your lifeblood, I will require a reckoning. From every beast, I will require it, and from man. From his fellow man, I will require a reckoning for the life of man. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his own image. And you be fruitful and multiply, increase greatly on the earth and multiply in it. Then God said to Noah and to his sons with him, Behold, I establish my covenant with you and your offspring after you. I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant that I have established between me and all flesh that is on the earth. The sons of Noah who went forth from the ark were Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Ham was the father of Canaan. These three were the sons of Noah, and from these the people of the whole earth were dispersed. Noah began to be a man of the soul, and he planted a vineyard. He drank of the wine and became drunk and lay uncovered in his tent. And as and Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father and told his two brothers outside. Then Shem and Japheth took a garment, laid it on both their shoulders, and walked backward and covered the nakedness of their father. Their faces were turned backward, and they did not see their father's nakedness. When Noah awoke from his wine and knew that his youngest son had done to him, he said, Cursed be Canaan, a servant of servants shall he be to his brothers. He also said, Blessed Be the Lord the God of Shem, and let Canaan be his servant. May God enlarge Japheth, and let him dwell in the tents of Shem, and let Canaan be his servant. After the flood of Noah, live 350 years. And all the days of Noah were 950 years, and he died. You may be seated. God destroyed the world in a universal flood. He saved Noah and his family through the ark in a year-long process and then told them to go out and what we find in chapter 9 is what's next it was a new start and i would say to you this morning that life is a series of new starts we tend to drift grow cold wonder we're prone to wonder and a, as so we think about some of the things that are important in our lives like Bible reading and family devotions and even church attendance, we prone to get off, we're prone to get off track and even neglect the most important things around us. In the natural world, we can observe this tendency in general. It's called the second law of thermodynamics. Listen as I read this. Some of you who are in school right now, you're studying this maybe. The second law of thermodynamics states that closed systems tend towards increased entropy, an increase in disorder. Another way to look at this is what the amount of energy available for work in a closed system is decreasing. It's normal in life for things to be decreasing, for decay to start happening, uh, for there to be a moving away from what we know to be the important things. In other words, it's it's true in the world, and I would suggest to you it's true in our personal lives as well. Tommy Mitchell, in this article from Answers in Genesis, makes this spiritual connection to the second law of thermodynamics. Listen again. Prior to the fall, God upheld his creation perfectly. After man disobeyed God, which brought about the effects of the curse, that was Genesis 3, it was as if God withdrew some of his sustaining power, all the while still upholding the universe, but not in a perfect state, giving us a taste of what life is like without him. Thus we have a world that is suffering the cumulative effect of the increasing disorder or decay. You see, even from the natural order of things in life, we observe this decline, this wandering. We see our dependence on God left to ourselves. We would go our own way. If God uh, didn't hold all things together and didn't hold his people even in his own hands, we would all spin out of control, lost, and we would move away from God. Even as believers, as people who've known God uh, for years, many of you, We still talk about living a life of repentance. That is, observing day to day that I'm going to come up short. I I tell uh, men oftentimes, if you're not regularly apologizing to your wife, you're not seeing yourself accurately. Now, I don't usually say that so directly to the women, but it's true too, isn't it? If we don't see ourselves accurately then we're not going to apologize, but we're sinners and we're going to come up short. And rather than blaming and rather than making excuses, we we own it. And so we should be living a life of repentance, seeing our sin, confessing it, turning from it, and turning back to God. Noah and his family were blessed with a new start. Think about all the changes they had been through in their world 120 years before the flood, God had told Noah what he was about to do and that the end, so to speak, that this world would be destroyed, was coming. It took Noah about 100 years of investing time and effort and energy in building this ark. And then for one year, he entered the ark, seven days before the rain. And then for about a year, he and his family and all the animals that God brought to the ark were on that boat While God sent rain from above and below and this whole world was flooded from top to bottom and all was destroyed except what was on the boat and of course the fish in the sea. Life changed at each one of those increments for them. And then as they moved off the boat, God had said, hey, this is a new start for you guys. Go now. And we pick up in chapter 9. You see, today is the day. Today's always the day. Today is my, my only opportunity that I'm assured that I'm going to have because none of us are assured about the opportunities of tomorrow. Much less next week or next month, we don't even know what's going to happen on the next day. And so today is that day of new starts that God gives us. Psalm 912 tells us uh, a prayer teach us to number our days aright that we may gain a heart of wisdom. And some of you look back over this last year or two, or maybe 15 or 20 or 30 years, and you look back and you see you've wasted many opportunities and years that God's given you to faithfully serve him. the day's a day of repentance. The day's a day of a new start. Consider today, your day is it time for a restart? Before we see the famous bow. Of chapter 9, God has a message for his people. Then, and of course, we apply it now. So notice with me back in verse 1 of chapter 9, this message before God sets his bow. And God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. The message first had to do with production, the production of life. God, even though all these problems existed in the world, and God knew there'd be problems even after the flood, God has this uh, positive, this opportunistic, this outlook of what we have a chance to participate in and be and do in this world that he created. And so even as we look at the problems around us, God is still telling us, Mary have kids. This is the the common grace that God gives us to enjoy relationships and enjoy raising kids and being grandparents even in a family. This is what God intends and it's some of the choicest blessings that he gives us. And even for those who don't get married, even for those who get married and they don't have kids, God still has that opportunity to see relationships in a very valuable, productive kind of way. So this message had to do with the enjoyment of life and the furthering of life and giving glory to God as they produced and spread across the earth. And God also shows them the provisions of life. Up to this point, they could only eat the vegetables and the fruit of the trees. But now God is opening it up. And I'm almost expecting a pretty good rousing amen from some of you. But God opens it up and and humanity becomes meat eaters. Now, it's okay to be a vegan, to only eat vegetables. That's okay. But it's not wrong to be a meat eater either. Okay, there it was. It's just that it can't have its blood still in it. Now, some of you I've eaten with, and I I was watching that when you put that fork in it to make sure it didn't move still. But But in some ways, it's kind of like the FDA here. God's protecting us that we don't get some terrible bacterias, but the meat would be cooked to some degree, at least some. You know, there's got to be at least a little bit of cooking going on here. (laughs) And, of course, the blood represented the life. And and there's something significant about the blood. And without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. We already see a pattern developing that God God is bringing sacrifices to bear so that one day we would understand that the Lamb of God would sacrifice himself, willingly lay down his life so that we could have eternal life. God's giving a lot of freedom here, provisions for life. But then there's also the protection of life that you see in these first few verses He said, I will require a reckoning for the life of man. God values life, not because life itself has so much value, but because people are made in the image of God. We have value because we're made in the image of God. That changes the whole dynamic. It does speak to a lot of the issues that are before us today. We've we've seen the emphasis on conception and life in the womb and life outside the womb. And God is speaking to us about how important life is and how valuable it is. And we we can read in verse 6, Whoever sheds the blood of man by man shall his blood be shed for God made man in his own image. There's an expectation, there's a protection of life. And some people say, well, well, how then can you square that with the Ten Commandments? How can you square that then if we're supposed to value life with a government that might practice capital punishment? But here you see the, the uh, uh, command for capital punishment here. Some people say, well, how does that deter crime? Well, someone who's experienced capital punishment will not commit that crime again. Now, I don't really want to make light of that. I'm just saying that there are consequences to sin, and God has given the government. And hopefully, as we pray for our government, it rises to the occasion to practice that in a biblical uh, way that values life. And so I I do believe there's a biblical case for that. But at the same time, I think we have to to fight against abortion. We have to fight against euthanasia. These are different situations. So the Ten Commandments says, you shall not murder, I think, when it's rightly Uh, translated, not you shall not kill. There there are times when the government uh, is given the right for war. We we see just wars in Scripture. We we see there are times that God's uh, Given the government the right to bear the sword. What else does that mean but capital punishment? Even in the New Testament in Romans chapter 13. But overall, all of that is to protect life. To give people an opportunity to know God and to enjoy God. And even we as people, we're praying for peace. Why? So that the gospel can be made clear all over the world. You see, there's protection in life. And so this message, before he sets the bow, is that God values life. God blesses life. God's the giver of life. And we should have that kind of respect for life as God gives us this opportunity and the days that we have on earth to live for him. God makes a covenant with Noah and his family as you move on into verse 8. God said to Noah and to his sons with him, Behold, I will establish my covenant with you and your offspring after you. This is an act of grace. God's faithful even when we're not. God's faithful to give a covenant. Even when the people who receive the covenant can't live up to the covenant. And God is going to make his covenant with a sign in the sky, with a marker in the sky, and you might could say at least six markers, but with a marker in the sky, and it's, a, it's a bow, a rainbow. It's a beautiful thing. When you think about verse 13, I've set my bow in the cloud, we're still astonished when we see rainbows, aren't we? I mean, when it rains and there's a beautiful one out there, You look at social media and there are a million pictures of rainbows. I've seen those before. But we're still amazed at how God created that. How God, through natural law, like so many things that he put in place, it's possible. it, It happens. The bow is like all of creation. It fits in the laws that he created. So we see order and consistency. God had this plant even before he laid the foundations of the world. That's how sovereign and great, how high his thoughts are above our thoughts. National Geographic describes rainbows like this. A rainbow is a multicolored art made by light striking water droplets. The most familiar type rainbow is produced when sunlight strikes raindrops in front of a viewer at a precise angle. The colors on a primary rainbow are always in order of their wavelength from longest to shortest, red, orange, yellow, green, blue, indigo, and violet. And all of us in school, we learned that how you Man, you, what great students. Roy G. Biv. Now, the National Geographic, I had to add indigo in there myself. You see the brackets? Because some people say the blue is so co- close that it's uh, undiscernible. Well, that goes against my schooling, so we put indigo <laughs> back in there. The Bible doesn't say how many colors are there. But science does not have to explain away this bow. Rather, it gives evidence of God's perfect design just like a whole of creation does. Interestingly, though, think about the bow and the military connotations it has, the bow and the arrow, and even the shape of this bow. The Jesus Storybook Bible, I don't know if you parents have picked up on using this with your kids or grandparents using this with your kids, but it's a great little storybook Bible for children. And I love how, how the writer Sally Lloyd-Jones captures this idea of a warrior with the rainbow. And like a warrior who puts away his bow and arrow at the end of a great battle, God said, see, I have hung up my bow in the clouds. Isn't that neat? The sign of judgment, the military, the judgment of God, the wrath of God, but also of comfort and peace because God put his bow in the sky us to see now sadly some have taken this sign from God to honor disobedience to God I think we've raised a generation now who may in large part not know God at least not honor God and this younger generation when they see a rainbow they, they may be more prone to see a movement of people rather than the mercy of God Listen to a little history on that. The colors of the rainbow are sometimes used as a symbol of gay pride. This began in 1978 when an artist named Gilbert Baker designed and made a flag for the homosexual community in San Francisco. Baker's original design had eight colors and he assigned a meaning to each one. Subsequent designs sported seven and then six colors. Rainbow flags and banners as used by the LGBTQ community represent diversity, hope, and social action 44 years ago and think about how this has infiltrated our culture where even those who sometimes grow up in the church are more familiar with the symbol of the rainbow for disobedience to God than for a sign from God so what's our response to a movement like this well we love them We speak the truth, but we speak it in love. We're going to lead according to God's design, and we're going to preach the gospel, and we're going to come back to the scriptures, and we're going to point out what God says, but we're going to love people no matter what choices they've made. And that's the beauty of the church, and that's the beauty of Jesus. Jesus accepts us no matter what we've done in our past, but he doesn't leave us in our past. Through his grace, he brings us to a place of repentance. And we want to preach that repentance here among God's people that we get new starts. And we're going to preach that that message of repentance all across the world. Because we know that's what ultimately is going to bring joy and peace. And that's ultimately going to matter what's going to matter one day when people stand before God. The most loving thing we can do is just not ignore disobedience to God but to speak in love and compassion and hope. Some of you have people in your families who who have bought into this. And what do you do? Do you get in a, in the, in a battle, in a war? No, God put his bow in the sky. And what God has told us is to love and to, to reach out and to help and to bless and to speak the truth in love. We're, we're not battling people. We're, we're battling a, a much more sinister enemy, the devil himself, and sometimes we as God's people get a rap for battling people. And our battle's not with flesh and blood. Our, our battle's with the enemy, Satan himself, who's brought deception into our world. And our own flesh, our sinfulness, who wants what it wants. And sometimes when its desires are not gratified, we'll fight tooth and nail to get what it wants. Sin was still present. When Noah and his family came out of the boat, because Noah and his family came out of the boat. And I want you to see in this third point the messiness after he sets his bow. Think with me in verse 18. Sons of Noah went out from the ark where Shem Ham and Japheth they were to disperse and fill up the earth. Verse twenty. Noah began to be a man of the soul. Planted a vineyard. He drank of the wine and became drunk and lay uncovered in his tent. You see, first the drunkenness here. No wonder God forbids drunkenness. I, I, I've sat with a lot of people in my office who who've regretted taking the first drink. I'm not saying it's sinful for someone to take a drink. I am saying it's sinful to some for someone to be drunk. God strictly forbids it. Now, if I were you, this is what I told my kids. I told my kids, "Don't ever touch a drop." My grand, three of my grandkids, guys, I, I I love you. Don't ever take a drop. There are too many other good options out there. Gatorade. I mean, wow. <laughs> Powerade. I mean, what else would you want? I mean. There are too many good options out there, and boy, it leads to such hurt and harm and destruction. God warns against drunkenness, and that's, that's what's sinful. But when you when you read in Proverbs, you see God saying a number of things about alcohol. Proverbs 20, verse 1, wine is a mocker, strong drink a brawler. Whoever's led astray by it is not wise. And then Proverbs 23, and this wouldn't it be great if there was a book that told us how to live a wise life. I mean, we, do, we oh, we have one. It's Proverbs. Proverbs 23, verse 29. Who has woe? Who has sorrow? Who has strife? Who has complaining? Who has wounds without cause? Who has redness of eyes? Those who tarry long over wine. Those who... Go to try mixed wine. And you can read the, the rest of that passage. I just want our young people to hear that this morning. My wife received a text from mom that we had, I had spent time with her son when he was in high school. Now he's in college. He just turned 21 and the mom said, Hey, I just wanted you to know. And he was talking to his friends. He had 21 and all his friends said, You know, man, you're 21. You're legal now. Now you can go out and drink. And the mom said, that the son told all his friends, well, well, Pastor Rodney said, what good can come from that? I don't think I'm really interested in drinking. There are too many other good options. And and, and I was blessed just to even hear that being repeated back at a 21-year-old saying that. And I, I'm trying to say that to you today as well. At the very least, drunkenness is sinful. It's wrong. God forbids it. God says a life of drunkenness points to a life that's without faith and a, a life without God. And Noah experienced that. There, there was still messiness even after the fall. And then you see the disrespect when Noah lay uncovered. It's amazing how, much, how many times alcohol and sexual immorality go together. Boy, I, I, I know there are stories all that abound with the combination of the two. But it, 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 there are a lot of ways that we can interpret this text with Noah. You know, one, he's, he's messed up. He, the drunkenness of that. He's put himself in a bad position here. And, and oftentimes, this is why we talk about modesty. This is why we talk about taking care of your body and covering. Because... It's it's not meant to be exposed only within a marriage relationship and and I know I, I'm moving into kind of a PG area here and I promise I'm not going to get over over the line with this. But I think it's something that we've got to say as parents are taking care of their kids, and the kids don't know why can't we have uh, unlimited access to the internet and our phones? Well, it's, it's because we we protect as parents, we protect our kids and and our grandkids. Why do we quit parents in in those things? We want them to protect, and even as adults, we any of us could get caught up in their addictions that can happen. And so there's modesty and there's there's clothing that needs to to happen. And Noah did not do that, and it led to some further problems and pointed out some weaknesses and even one of his sons. And what I think as I read this, I see more disrespect than anything else. Again, you can go back and read some of the interpretive differences of this text. But for me, it's almost like uh, Ham... Showed disrespect to his dad. Maybe made a mockery out of him. And went back and told his brothers. And his brothers, they were not having any of that. They were showing respect. And so that's why they took the garment and backed in and covered up their dad. They were trying to show respect. Even though in that moment, he probably didn't deserve it. Let me say it differently. He didn't deserve it. And some of you have to show respect to parents as children or even as adults, even though the parents may not deserve it, but th- that's what God said. You show honor and respect, and that's what we do. But there was disrespect here, so drunkenness and, and disrespect. And Some say, well, why didn't Ham get the curse instead of Canaan? Some, some say it was prophetic because of the land of the Canaanites. Later on, their sin was filled up, and uh, God saw what was going to happen with that line, and they would be judged one day as the Israelites went out of Egypt and took over the Canaanites. Some say that Canaan was already grown up and he was already, or at least as an adolescent, and was showing signs of being a lot like his dad with a disrespect. So there are a couple of options there. But you have to also see there's a lot of influence from parents. And it appears that some of that influence was happening. And I'm thankful that there's redemption even in The land of Canaan as God brought his people there. I would say to you, the world profanes what God ordains. This bow, God ordained it, the world profanes it. Marriage, God ordains it, the world profanes it. Even the church, God ordains it, the world profanes it. And we as God's people, we're to show respect. And I love what Sally Lloyd Jones goes on to say in the Jesus Storybook Bible, God's strong anger against hate and sadness and death would come down once more. But not on his people or his world. No, God's war bow was not pointing down at his people, it was pointing up to the heart of heaven. You see, the next time God's wrath would be poured out, his God the Son would leave the glory of Heaven and come to earth, and all of God's wrath would be poured out on his Son for the sins of all his people. He took the punishment. That bow was was aimed toward heaven, and God the Son would come and absorb the wrath of God. He died for your sin. And so for us, it's a matter of turning from sin and trusting in the The son, Christ, Jesus himself. It's forsaking your sin and following Christ. That's the new start. Lamentations chapter 3 in verse 22 says this. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. Aren't you glad of that because we all need new starts. We all need new starts along the way. The steadfast of the Lord, the love, love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul, Therefore I will hope in Him. His mercies are new every morning, and his mercies are here. You see, that's what I would say about the rainbow when you look up and you see it. What it should remind you of is the mercy of God. God gave Noah and his family a new start, and God promised he would not destroy the world by water again, and that the mercy of God, every time we see a rainbow, thank Thank you, God, for your mercy that you hadn't wiped me off the face of the earth, that you've shown grace, and you've you've shown your patience. To me, the rainbow represents the patience of God, that I have another chance, and that God's not going to destroy the world by by water again and a universal flood, but this is my chance to have a new start. Some of you just need to get back on track with your Bible reading today, and you've gotten slack. Some of you, you've let your marriage take a back burner. You've not put the priority there with your husband or with your wife. And God's calling you back. Some, you've lost ground in your fight for sin. You've gotten back in some of your bad habits. And that rainbow should say, God's patient with you and not giving you what you deserve. Rather, he's giving you an opportunity to repent and to follow Christ. Some of you need to enter a discipling relationship in your fight against sin and your fight to grow in your relationship with God. But there are others who've never come to Christ. And if you die tonight, you don't know where you would go. The wrath of God, you would receive it in eternal punishment because you've not received the free gift of salvation in Christ. Repent. Turn from your sin and turn to the Savior who will forgive all your sin. Pray with me. Father, thank you for the bow in the sky. How it speaks of your patience. Lord, none of us would be here today if you weren't patient. If you weren't merciful, none of us would be here. We'd all get what we deserve, which would be death and hell forever. But yet you've offered your grace and, and when we think about the fact you set your bow, it's a constant reminder for us of your mercies, that every morning your mercies are new, and I know your mercies are new for every one of us here. I pray that you would move in our hearts and lives. Lord, don't leave us where we are. Help us to take those next steps of obedience today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.